0: Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Sean McCraney, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's open with prayer. Lord, we love you and seek you. We need your spirit. We need you to help us understand, and we want the truth, no matter what it is, no matter how painful, and uh, correct me, correct all of us when we're wrong, and you do that, because you love us, and you watch out for us, bless our volunteers and the people who uh, are there to help us to put the show on, the ministry going, and uh, be with those who are seeking, Lord, wherever they may be. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to personally thank all those who have supported the ministry over the years, especially those who presently do. And uh, you have supported us through your prayers and by sharing the content of the programs with others, volunteering, uh, even financially. You should see the emails. I mean, they come in. We don't uh, talk about them that much, and we get to some of them. But they come in in miraculous ways. They come in and they share us with us these stories that just rock our world. People who are being uh, reached by the content uh, that God has given them through the ministry. And we're grateful for your friendship, your fellowship, willing to hear us out on different things. I also want to thank you uh, for taking the time to email. We do read every email. Uh, it takes a while to get back to them sometimes but please know that we do consider the content carefully and we're, we're often moved by what you share with us. Last week, I had three different people in one way or another, two of them directly intimate, intimate uh, that they thought we're not gonna be around very much longer. I mean, in the same day, three, boom, boom, boom. And uh, meaning the ministry, all of them were under the impression that we are dying on the vine. So let me take three minutes and give you a quick uh, state of the union of the ministry. For the first time since 2006, our entire family has moved up to Utah. We don't have a property. We don't have any connection to Southern California any longer. They've all made the commitment. All three of my daughters uh, and my wife, Mary, made the commitment. We divested ourselves of a home that we had there, and uh, we have moved here. And uh, financially, the ministry always, almost always, except for late 2009 through 2013, We were those were the salad days because we were on TV and we were really talking about Mormonism and boom we had a lot of support then in the community but we've been on a mouth hand-to-mouth shoestring budget uh, ever since and uh, 2003 the 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 donations have dropped 70 uh, percent since 2013 uh, at least that but I haven't checked with Derek but you know what God has provided and uh, we trust that He will continue to provide and we will never stop doing what we do. Even if there's total uh, financial failure in terms of support, we're not gonna stop. We're gonna do that, if we can't do it from this building, we'll do it from the couch in the house. We're not gonna stop. Nothing will stop us but God himself. When he tells us to stop, we'll know and we'll stop. We try to keep the overhead low. We uh, try to give our materials to anybody who wants it and, uh, and we don't, uh, we try not to, uh, we don't preach tithing, we don't put a burden upon people who write us who are elderly or on a limited fixed income. And God has blessed that. Most people are on a limited fixed income, really, who relate to our ministry. It's always been that way. And we have a few people who have helped us who do have financial means. So it's never been about the financial growth. It's never been, it's been about us producing content getting the content, being able to survive so we can continue to produce content for you to take and consider. What are we not going to stop? We're not going to stop preaching Jesus. To any and all who will hear, we're not going to stop teaching the Bible from what we believe is a sound contextual position. We're not going to stop explaining Mormonism and uh, Christianity to those who are interested in hearing it. And we're not going to stop trying to help people see that religious traditions, uh, based on what we feel are faulty biblical interpretations like sola scriptura and five-point Calvinism or objective Christian institutional demands that are put upon people, materialism within the faith, ardent futurism, strong futurism, claims of a literal, eternal burning fire of hell for everybody except the select view, insistence on a literal application of scripture today. We are not gonna stop uh, saying that those are not the only acceptable forms of being a Christian. Now, listen carefully to what I said. They are not the only acceptable ways. And when I mean, what I mean by that is we're not denying people to have those views. And in fact, I admit that some of those views may be right and I may be wrong. But we are saying that those people have the right, who, Christians who believe that way have that right and they may be, may be right. But the alternative views are, damn it, those are alternative views, which are called alternative, are just as biblical and, and are just as substantive in Scripture. It's just that the more powerful popular view has dominated the limelight in most Christian thought. And so the popular view has been assumed as being the correct view. And just because our view isn't always the popular one doesn't necessarily mean it's not acceptable. So I just wanted to bring that out, and with that, how about we go to our Board of Direction. Okay, there is, uh, I'm going to call this Board of Direction, and we'll get to the board in a second, uh, a futuristic anachronism. And uh, and I talked about this briefly uh, on Sunday, but what do we say at a funeral when a believer passes away? We say, oh, they're in a better place. They're with the Lord. And I couldn't agree with that more. And I, you know, we kind of laughed about how you rarely will go to a funeral of anybody who has any sort of faith, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, Christian Scientist, Calvin, Calvinist or Baptist or anything, and you don't go to a funeral where someone has attended those and here they've gone to hell. We just don't say that. We, we say they're with the Lord. That's what we say. And I believe it. And I really believe that anybody who has received the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in this life are with the Lord when they pass. And this has been the case, I believe, since going way back since his ascension. But go back 100 years. Go back to 1916. And we're at the funeral of a believer. What is said about him or her? The exact same thing. They're with the Lord. Go back 200. Go back 500. Go back 1,000. Go back Almost 2,000 years. What is said at the funerals of millions of believers? They're with God. They're with the Lord. We have all said that. And in addition to the line in Scripture, absent from the body, present from the Lord, do you know what Scripture also says? It says that the resurrection will not begin until Jesus has returned. It says that. It says, and from a futurist or dispensationalist uh, point of view, uh, this means that all of those people that we say at a funeral, have gone to the Lord, uh, who have been living with Him in the Spirit for the past 2,000 years plus or whatever, they are waiting to be reunited with their body. And I have believed that in my life. Most Christians believe that in some way or another, somehow that that's the case. So millions of people, maybe billions, I don't know, are with God. They're in His presence, in the arms of Jesus, but they're waiting for Jesus to return in order to be resurrected okay now many say oh i can accept that they're waiting that's going to be a blessed event and they're just waiting for the lord to come and 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 and, and uh, return but you know what scripture also says now i know some very ardent uh very well-read futurists Having cut my teeth on the Calvary Chapel way, I mean, I know some guys written very good books on the dispensationalist futurist idea of Jesus is coming and the resurrection will begin then, and they um, they agree that there is a judgment. There was a guy named Darby, and he he sort of came up with this with Schofield this idea that there is a judgment for believers that happens at the cross and there will be a judgment for believers that's called the Bema Seat Judgment, taken from 1 Corinthians, and that Christians will go and they'll have their works tried by fire, wood, hay, and stubble, and that's their judgment, but that the wicked will have a judgment that's separate called the Great White Throne Judgment. But these guys who are ardent dispensationalists and futurists after the idea of Darby and Schofield say, no, there's one judgment. We will all go before God, and uh, you know, our works will be tried by fire but we will all go before God. The great and the small, Revelation says, will stand before uh, God, and there, and the works will be judged, and the books are open, and another book is open, the book of uh, the Lamb, and uh, book of life, etc. So, uh, the book, the, the Bible, I believe, clearly depicts there's going to be a judgment, and that we are all going to stand before God. And then, uh, in the resurrected bodies, all of us will um, get our assigned place in the eternities and that we will go and we will go into heaven or we will be cast into the lake of fire if a name is not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So the problem is, here's the anachronistic problem. For 2,000 years we've been saying every believer is with with God, they're with God, they're with God. And now we don't know if that's true or not, but we say it. So let's say that we are right in that. They're with God. Well, we're all waiting for the resurrection to occur. The, Jesus comes back. The resurrection occurs. And all those people who are with God, then will get their body. And then they're going to be judged. And some of them in their resurrected body will be judged. And they will be, it will be decided then whether they get to go back to live with God Or if they go into the lake of fire, so the anachronism looks like this. We are here's the funeral, and this guy is saying here of Billy Believer, who's in this casket. Everyone's mocking my drawing here, but this is Billy Believer, and he's dead in the casket, and they're all saying he's with God. So his spirit has gone up to live with God, right? That's what we say at the funeral of everybody. This is a cloud, and we'll just say this is God. Okay, he is with God. All right. And then futurists will say, when Jesus returns to the earth, now Billy's body has been buried down here under the earth and the year is uh, 1670 when this funeral took place with this preacher pointing to him and saying he's with God. This is in the year 1670 and Billy has been up there with God the whole time and Billy's body is laying in the grave uh, uh, completely corrupted by this time, right? When the resurrected body comes up, and Billy is gonna have this body of flesh and bone, now he is going to go, and he is going to stand before the great white throne judgment. And the books are gonna be open, and we're gonna see, is Billy's name written in that book? And if Billy's name is in that book, Billy gets to go back up to God with his resurrected body, and Billy's happy. But, so, so, and if he doesn't, of course, he's gonna go into what's called the lake of fire, and uh, and his resurrected body and Billy is not happy. But the anachronism is in 1670, this preacher, he said to all the loved ones who are out in the audience looking up and crying at the casket, Billy is with God. So in 1670, Billy was up with God But now in 2017, Jesus comes back, Billy's resurrected, he goes before the great white throne judgment in his resurrected body, and God says, your name's not in here, Billy. So he spent all those times with God, but now he's in the lake of fire forever and ever burning. That's called an anachronism. And it's a purely, it's a clear anachronism in scripture relative to resurrection, judgment, and uh, the placement of people once the judgment has taken place. Now, there's an answer, I believe, to that. I'm not going to go into it. But can you see the problem with the futurist view of Jesus' return, launching the resurrection, which will launch the judgment, which will determine then the eternal status of all humankind, even for those who have apparently been with God this whole time? All right? And with that, how about a moment from The Word.
1: And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse.
0: In Mark chapter 14, we read, After two days was the feast of Passover, of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take Jesus by craft and put him to death. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, he sat at meat. There came a woman having an alabaster box of lotion, of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on Jesus' head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves. They weren't liking that very much. And said, Why was this waste of this expensive spikenard ointment On him this way for it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor and they murmured against her and Jesus said let her alone love that why trouble you her she has brought a good work on me listen to this last uh, uh, passage for you have the poor with you always And whensoever you will, you may do good to them. He adds that line. But me, you have not always. I'm going to talk about that last line for a second. For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you may do good to them. I've been ruminating on the plight of uh, human existence for a while. We moved into a condo downtown Salt Lake, and... uh, right across the street and way from three or four homeless shelters. And they are by the hundreds down there. I mean, it looks like uh, The Walking Dead, it really does. It is unbelievable the, what you see walking around the streets uh, in that area. And uh, hundreds of the poor with us. And I've been particularly interested in the babes. I mean, these, these mothers and these, sometimes the dads carrying babies and uh, children and then there's also teens being summer and as I find I find that most of the adults have kind of settled in that life maybe not all there's people who are emotionally and psychologically ill who are out there but a lot of the adults they want to be there they like the drugs they like the alcohol they like the lifestyle no responsibility and so for them it's tough to try to impose uh, upon their lives. But what about the babes and the, and the kids and the, and the teens? Uh, and this is just downtown Salt Lake City, downtown Salt Lake City. What about uh, New York and, and Vegas and Hong Kong and, and the Sudan? I mean, the indigent, the poor, holding babes, holding children's hands, teenagers, who they don't have a shot in hell. Uh, they really don't from the time they're born into this gig as they go up. Now, some of them will come around, but a lot of them, I mean, they have it handed to them of what their life is going to look like because of what their parents have introduced them to. So, are we to believe that this world offers all people the same opportunities? I mean, I sometimes get the idea that as evangelicals, we actually believe that everyone can become the president of the United States if they really, really work hard at it. You know, uh, what about the limitations that these people experience in early life in nutrition in education, and education, and then add in the physical and emotional and psychological abuse that they face out there? Uh, listen, coming from where I came from, Huntington Beach, California, uh, hardworking parents, they had their faults, but let me tell you something. I was given every opportunity on earth to succeed, and I admit it can be really easy to look at these uh, people and say, just pull yourself up by the bootstrap, you loser. You know, you should be able to do it. And, but this is not reasonable. It's not really feasible. And it's not historically viable. It, we, like Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. You will always have it. But what is really pressing on me is how fortunate I've been in my life. And again, I can't explain my fortune any better as to why I have it, then why I can explain, or then then to explain the plight of a three-year-old, had to been three, I saw laying on the curb this morning as cars rushed by three feet from that child in filthy rags while the parents sat there out of their minds. I don't know why I got what I got, and I don't know why that child got what that child got, but we each got what we got, didn't we? So while we can't explain why, And I don't think we're ever, ever, ever going to solve the problem. Because even, I mean, the Lord said, you're always going to have them with you. The plaguing question is not why or how, but what do we do in response to it? There are a lot of band-aid responses about what we could, should, would do. And I'm just, um, you know, I'm nobody to say, but I'm just throwing this out there because it's really been weighing on me as I've watched it. We say give them money, we say give them clothes, we say give them food, provide them cheap housing, Get them jobs. But such things are already pretty much available. I mean the government and the other systems and and all the the food and stuff down there, it's pretty much there. Uh, We have a a little box, it's, it's about this big, and every two weeks that thing is full of clothes. Full of clothes, that goes to the homeless. They don't, they don't lack for clothes. Most of them have a weight problem. They're not lacking for food. We're, it's not like we're in, we're in India or something and their stomachs are bloated from starvation. So people will say we need to educate them, you know, from the dangers of drugs and all this other stuff, but... And then some people just think they should suffer. But what about those babes? And I would think that we give them love we give them attention, we give them education, but above all, we give them a reasonable, rational way to understand Jesus. And I, I'm sure, I know Teen Challenge was out there, and I'm sure that there are groups out there that are doing this, I know there are even in this state, but could there be more? And I, the reason I take the time to do this is because there's people out there in different parts of the world who watch this, and maybe this will launch you into, and maybe you have the means to do more with the babes and the children and the teens. That's just, somehow that's on my heart. It's not religion. You don't start, you know, another religion because that always turns into a conform or be cast out, kids. A teen shows up and he, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't conform. Well, he's gone. It's the Lord of the flies all over, the, all over again for everybody in that thing but maybe try and bring these kids around to understand Jesus, just him, and then start to help them through actions to know what Jesus' love is through support, just for the kids, during the day or something, not for the parents. If I was wealthy, I honestly think I would try to do an inner-city Christian school or daycare for homeless people's kids. And I say that if you're wealthy, if you have the means, if you have the inclination, if the Lord is speaking to you, you're looking to do something with your life, if it's not in America, I mean, I know you can go anywhere in the world and you're going to find these children. And without bring, making a big money deal, just, I, I just, it's just on my heart. So like everything else, I believe that the solution's Jesus to those kids. That's going to be their hope. That will help break the psychological, emotional effects that they have had being in that situation uh, from their parents' lot. And often their parents are not to blame either. It's not always drugs or alcohol. Uh, it's not always, it's all, often just bad Uh, circumstances that they're facing. So with that, let's talk about the fall. And before we do, we need to address a really important topic that you don't often hear mentioned when you're talking about the fall. We're talking about the fall of Adam, and that is love, agape love. Uh, God is unconditional love. Uh, He is selfless love. God is love. The two great commandments are to love God and love neighbor as self. Those are the two great commandments. And so in my estimation, you may disagree, but the ambition God has for all creation's children made in his image is for them to love. For them to love him and for them to love each other. I believe that's his ambition from the beginning. I believe it's his ambition to the end. They're the two great commandments. That would be it. Let's quickly review how Scripture defines this love, 1 Corinthians 13, right? You all know what it says. The kind of love that God is, is love that is long-suffering, kind, never, it says, never envious, never boastful, never conceited, never behaves unbecomingly, is never self-seeking, is never provoked, it never reckons up wrongs other people have caused and committed. It never rejoices at evil. It rejoices in the triumph over evil. It bears all things. It is ever trustful. It's ever hopeful. It's ever patient. And finally, that love never fails. You understand that? It's, it's, it's patient. It, uh, it Listen carefully. In the face of people and situations that require long-suffering, in the face of people who require patience, in the face of people who require uh, uh, all the things that was just described, God wants us to be like Him. And that is to love, not self-seeking, not provoked, uh, never reckoning up wrongs, etc., etc. Got all that? I'm not sure human beings can actually possess this agape love. I think we can experience fleeting moments of it as it comes into us and we're able for a moment to patiently deal with somebody who is uh, driving us nuts or whatever. And we can forgive uh, often or a lot or most of the time, uh, maybe all the time in that area. But I don't know if it abides in us the way God is love. I think we the Spirit brings it to us humans. Because look at the superlatives in that. Never, never, never always always and right there we see that we fail when trying to uh, evince this kind of love because we don't have it if it says we never and we do or we always and we don't you get it so the first thing to consider in discussing the fall is the scriptural definition of agape love that god is love the two great commandments is love and i would suggest that god wants his children and his creations who are made in his image he is love To love. All right? The second thing to consider about the fall is what was the brass tacks fail that caused the fall? Now, people will say it's sin. Adam sinned that caused the fall. And I would suggest that God gave Adam and Eve life, a garden, all that they needed. He gave them a a commandment don't eat of the true, the free of knowledge, the true to the the true to the free of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and multiply and replenish the earth. That's what he told them to do. They ate the forbidden fruit. Why? People say because they sinned. Maybe they didn't trust God or maybe they were tricked by Satan. Maybe they lacked faith in God's words. Maybe they trusted their own opinions or Satan's opinions more than their own. Maybe they simply loved something more than God, their own intelligence. Maybe they loved themselves. Maybe the words and ways of Satan were more appealing to them, whatever. But maybe in the end, the brass tacks was they just loved themselves more than they loved God. That's, that might be the brass tacks bottom line. Consider that. In spite of all he gave them, life, creation, the garden, everything they want. And he gave them a little rule. Don't eat of that tree. Okay? And the result was sin from the lack of love. Since God is love, Adam and Eve's approach to living, self-centered, I'm going to do it my way. I don't have to listen to him. I don't care or love him enough to follow him. uh, Entered, sin entered, and man fell and experienced a separation from God. Could Adam and Eve have honestly claimed, you know, when God comes looking for Adam and Eve, Adam, where are you? You know, the woman thou gavest me. I mean, could could Adam have looked at God and said, you know I love you with all my heart? Could he honestly have done that after disobeying him? I don't think so. I really don't. They could profess love, but their actions proved otherwise. And They love something more than him. What it was, we don't know. But in the end, my opinion is they love themselves and they love their ways and will more than they loved him. And that's what it all comes down to. So what from the beginning, from before creating Adam and Eve, was God's hope for mankind? Again, I would suggest he created us in his image and his ultimate desire is that we would choose to love him. First great commandment, love me. How do you love him? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What did he tell Adam and Eve? Don't eat of that tree. They ate of the tree, he don't love me. Let's separate. Let's separate because you really don't love me. I'm going to go through another way to relate with you now. It's gonna be through a fallen world. Since God is love and we are made in his image, I would suggest that God not only wanted Adam and Eve to be love, he still wants all of us to become love. I believe that is his ultimate goal. I've been preaching on this for a while. Look at the first humans. Looking at the first humans, we could say that he wanted them to love him first and foremost, but they didn't. They didn't. They obviously didn't. They loved themselves. Maybe this is just what human beings do. When we're in flesh, we're made in his image, but this is what humans do. They simply think of themselves first, and uh, like Adam and Eve did. Now, God did, did God know that they would love themselves more than him. Of course he knew. Of course he knew. This was no surprise. Did he force them to disobey him? I would reject that idea completely. He gave them a choice and they chose like he knew they would choose to serve themselves. But he knew what they would do from the start. No surprises. Now this is starting to get a little dicey because when you start really talking to evangelicals about the fall, you get in all kinds of discussion here about, well, uh, you know, did he, and well, did he want, and all this stuff. There's a big difference between knowing what will happen and causing that thing to happen in my estimation. There's a big difference between knowing what will happen and wanting something to happen as well. In Mormonism, God wanted Adam and Eve to transgress. They say transgress. Paul makes it equivalent to sin. In Mormonism, God wanted them to sin because by and through the knowledge they would get, by eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they would learn how to have sex. And then they would be able to procreate and multiply and replenish the earth, the other command. They had to break the one commandment in order to fulfill the other commandment. That's Mormon theology multiply and replenish the earth, but don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And without knowledge on how to procreate, because they were innocent, the LDS uh, say, even though Adam named all the animals, even though Adam was a very smart man, made in God's image, he was able to articulate the animals' names out of nowhere. Uh, So to the LDS, Adam and Eve had to, and God wanted them to, eat of that tree so that they would enter into a world that is difficult and fallen and broken, but they would have knowledge, and they would have to choose, and in opposition, they would live their life. In biblical Christianity, God did not want Adam and Eve to sin against him, but he instead wanted them to choose him, to love him, the first great commandment, and then to learn from God in their relationship with him how to multiply and replenish the earth. Eve says to Adam, hey, God told us to multiply and replenish the earth. And Adam says, I really don't know what that means. Hey, why don't we ask God? Okay, hey, Father, what does that mean? And God comes down he talks with them. There was an open, open communication. Of course, in his stated, God knew that they were gonna go south and follow their own imaginations. That's what men do. But herein is the difference between the LDS view and the Christian. The LDS say God wanted them to disobey him and introduce sin into the world While the Christian maintains that while he knew they would, he did not desire this as his first plan. Plan A was the best plan. And that's the best way I can say it. Now this is admittedly a very fine line. And where I wholeheartedly disagree with the LDS explanation that Adam's fall was a fall upward Uh, meaning Adam and Eve had to transgress so that all the babies in spirit heaven could come down and get bodies because they learned how to procreate. That's what they mean by that. I do agree. I do agree that what Adam and Eve chose to selfishly do was in full accordance with God's overarching plan. I do not think this was disappointing to God. I do not think he wasn't aware of it. And I don't think he didn't plan for it. I think this is exactly what he knew would happen, wanted to happen. What he wanted to happen was for them, the first couple and their progeny, to love him. I bet that if Adam and Eve had progeny, taught from God how to procreate and had a bunch of children for generations and generations, that tree would have remained in there. And God would have said, you can do whatever you want in this garden. It's for this whole big family you guys got. What a party. But don't any of you eat of that tree. I believe that would have been there to give them a choice, to choose to love God. He wasn't going to mandate it. So we might say that the plan from the beginning was to get man to choose to love God and to love each other. And there were two open paths on the way to do this, but there was one that was going to be taken, and it's the path that happened. And God knew that path. The first plan was Adam and Eve and their progeny to choose to love God. And that one we know was what, but plan B was the way it was always going to go down was Adam and Eve would choose to love themselves over the love of God. The human race would exit the Edenic state, uh, but it would still, still, from the moment they left the garden, the human race still has to choose to love God and to love each other. To love God and to love each other, but, a, but in a far more difficult setting. Now, plan B was God's, I believe, ultimate objective. I don't believe, for a second, the rhetoric that says, God put Adam and Eve in the garden. He cruci- he, his son was slain from the foundation of the world, by the way. So from the foundation of the world, his son was slain. That means that was the idea from the beginning. I don't believe for a second this, that God wanted that to continue to go on. I believe he fully knew and he didn't cause, but he knew which way it would go. And it was for our benefit. This is not what Christianity, evangelical Christianity normally would say. They say all kinds of other things. No, no, no. He did not want that. He wanted this. He wanted that. They read into all sorts of things. But it doesn't make sense that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world and God's foreknowledge of all things that he would go forward with creating the entire human race in the progeny of Adam and Eve and he would say, what I really wanted was for them to do this. But they went and did that, darn it. No, 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 no. And let me explain why. God's ultimate objective for this, I believe, was first, he knew that given the choice men Human beings, women, will always choose self. Something about him being God and us being flesh. Adam and Eve, they didn't even have sin and they chose self. I mean, they were tempted, but they chose self. That is part of our nature. God so loved us, he created us in his image. He wanted us to learn to choose him and others ahead of self. This would happen... uh, This would have to involve opportunity to choose him and others over self. That opportunity is provided by the fall. No fall, no opportunity to choose him or others, okay? It only happens by and through Christ Jesus, who came and he fulfilled loving God and loving man completely. The Spirit of Christ now, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, fills the heart of man and man overcoming his flesh is able to love god and to love man in a limited way but we are able to overcome that flesh which adam did not from the foundation of the world god knew the role of his son he knew that man from adam down to a baby born just right now somewhere in a hospital would never choose anything or anyone but themselves without christ And so he said, before the foundation of the world, this whole thing is gonna unravel. And it's gonna start with my first son and daughter in that garden. But I'm gonna, from the foundation of the world, crucify my son and this people, I am going to teach to love by and through him. And they will die having learned to love me and to love others. How can I say that? Think of it this way. Let me ask you a question. Can love exist, can agape love exist, as I described in 1 Corinthians 13, without difficulty? Can agape love exist? Does agape love exist without difficulty? It does not. It's just what you would do. That's why all the adjectives to describe love in scripture are about long-suffering. Patience, kindness, forgiveness, turning the other cheek. None of that stuff would be necessary without a fall. None of it. We would not have to learn to love in that way by overcoming those terrible things that cause uh, us to be impatient and to not forgive in a perfect paradise. If you think about it, you cannot love as God loves us, us imperfect selves, our imperfect selves. You cannot love unless you're being challenged by something that's annoying you, by something that's bothering you, by people who are taking advantage of you, by people who want to kill you, who who speak badly of you. You cannot really evidence agape love in the way 1 Corinthians 13 says, unless There's people who are driving you nuts. You don't see, God say, love is doing what you feel because you're just a great guy and it's easy. It's not a feeling, it's a choice. And you're making the choice because you love God first, you love man second, second, and you love yourself last. That does not come in a vacuum of perfectness. God knew it from the beginning. So, I don't side that God caused it or God wanted, but I do side with a middle ground between the Mormon view and the Christian, the Christian view and the Mormon view, and that is God knew it. He knew it was gonna be for the best, so the LDS had something right in that. He knew that that was how he was going to bring us into the light of learning to love was by this and it wasn't going to be in the identic state. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. While you are considering calling, if you do it all, uh, check out this spot.
1: Baptism primarily is an identification. And the moment that you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of believers. Now well, water can't do that for you. Only the Holy Spirit can put you into the body of believers. Therefore, every Christian, the moment he's trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit regenerates him and he indwells in and he seals him, and he also baptizes him.
0: Thanks, Del, for airing that. Dell is directing tonight, or is that mom? Thank you. And love the work of Cass and her video stuff. And that was a great thing to watch Diana and, and Adam and, and uh, whoever else. I can't remember. Max, right, from Idaho. Uh, Max was baptized that day, too. What, I love those baptisms. You know, I just, just, they just warm my heart. So, uh, listen, this is from Mark. Uh, I want to... I have second thoughts of joining a church where the pastor is putting himself as a gateway to the mentality of God. What do you think? Uh, my brother, uh, don't let it happen if you can. Don't let some pastors stick themselves as the gateway between. There's no gateway going on with any pastor, any man, any woman. Uh, the gate, the sheep gate, is Christ. You going through Him. And no man has any right to ever put themselves, their opinions, their views, their discipline, their ideas, and we talk about that a lot here in uh, in our ministry. I know that uh, Warren talks about that uh, a bit in uh, his ministry on Breaking Bread, and uh, you know, don't put men in there; men or women, straight to God. Uh, this is from Carlos. What are your thoughts on the apostles not mentioning the destruction of Jerusalem? in 70 AD in the New Testament, being due to the fact that they were raptured prior to the event. I think it's possible as any other postulation, have no idea, but it's an interesting one, Carlos. Thanks from Dallas. I thank God for your indifference. It has been a guiding light to break old beliefs and practices and brings me greater love and appreciation of who and God is. Thanks, Dallas. I appreciate your term of me being indifferent. I like that. I am quite indifferent to almost everything. Just ask my poor wife. Uh, The only thing I really care about is, you know, this. Everything else is, yeah, whatever. All right, go ahead. You know, put the dog to sleep. It's okay. We've only had him 30 years. You know, whatever. But uh, I am passionate about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am indifferent to denominational differences and all that stuff. So that's a compliment. Thank you, Dallas. This is from Gareth. Uh, Very blessed by this email, Gareth. It says, I've seen your ministry uh, on YouTube. All I can say is I've gone through rough times the past couple of years. Turn my back on the church. I'm not LDS, by the way. We have a lot of people who aren't LDS who write us. I'm listening to you reminding me of the sacrifice Jesus made for me. God has blessed you. Thank you for much love. Uh, and um, so I'm, I'm blessed by that email. And I just wanted to thank you, Gareth. It comes from a long way away. And thanks for writing that. The, Richard wrote, and he's misinformed or he's... Uh, He says, God forgive me, but I can't let this go unanswered. You don't like liberals? He said, you dismiss liberals? I don't know where this came from. We liberals, this is interesting, do most of the giving, (laughs) helping, and blessing that gets done. The right, as some hasten to call themselves, do the most lying, stealing, and cursing. Now. You know, he goes on, he talks about all the toddy sins that the right uh, commits. This is where my indifference comes in. First of all, Richard, I am more, I am more liberal in my life worldview than I am conservative. Anyone who knows me senses that. But uh, you've misread something I've said or misunderstood it. But I don't think we have the right to say liberals do the most giving, helping, and blessing that gets done and the right uh, do more lying, stealing, and cursing. I think that's really broad-brushed. And I'm not even talking politically. I'm just talking, forget it. People are people. There are great liberals. There are great conservatives. And they are great people in the eyes of God who don't do lying, and they all give. And this kind of stuff is just rhetoric that creates division. So uh, I think you misinterpreted me, but I think that message is really quite uh, frightening. Uh, that's my opinion. Let's go to Stephanie in Washington on line one. Stephanie, you're on Heart of the Matter.
2: Hey, Sean, I can't believe it's, I'm finally talking to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your ministry. Oh. Um, I, I, I kind of, I, I was watching the baseball game and I went, oh no, Sean's show's on. And I wanted I don't know if you've already covered this, but I was a Jehovah's Witness for 16 years before I converted to Mormonism for three. And I left Mormonism two years ago, huh. so I'm pretty messed up. I'm trying to search out Christ, God, what the heck, <laughs> and the one thing that bothers me, and I know it bothers me a lot of people, but the Adam and Eve story, like um, for the JWs, it's they believe that Satan really talked through a snake and whatnot, and that we will be paying, you know, you know, that's why we get sick and die. And then of course the lds view that was the one thing they could never explain to me and i could never accept the fall their version of the fall is so bizarre and backwards yeah so um my question was is there anything in the bible or do we not know yet that are 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 we going to continually pay for adam and eve i mean is my daughter and the next generation going to get sick and go through this earth and continue to pay for something that happened so many eons ago that that's the one thing that bothers me about, you know like I you know with you I've been able to hold on to some parts of Christianity but there's things that I just I can't buy the fact that God would just let us suffer and continue on to die and suffer and then continue on to die and pay for something that I didn't do I, you know, so can you please
0: explain, or try, or... Well, Stephanie, oh, what's interesting
2: frustrating for me.
0: What's interesting about your query, and remind me, say, Sean, you just asked me to remind you of something before you hang up, okay? So, before you hang up, say, I want to remind you, Sean, then I'll tell you. But the interesting okay. thing about your query is more and more in our world, we have uh, we've come to this idea that we as human beings can overcome the effects of the fall. And there are a lot of people out there who believe that we can go from 46 and two, that means talking about chromosomal change, and we can leap into a new dimension of chromosomes where we are going to overcome our death, we are going to live immortal lives, the foods we eat are gonna change us and all that stuff. Uh, But you know, there's a great philosopher who said, I want you to imagine for a minute if we lived forever on on this planet. How, talk about indifference. You wouldn't care if your kids, if, if there was no death, you wouldn't have very much care for anybody. So death looms and it gives us a perspective of the limited nature of this existence. So while it, it, it is something that's hard for us, it is a very, very short, short vapor, for us to experience in terms of uh, eternity. But the other thing, Stephanie, is uh, we are uh, subject to much of what happened because of the fall, but Christ Jesus is called by Paul the second Adam. And Christ, he overcame this world. He says, don't fear, I have overcome this world. And so by and through your faith and strength and spirit in him, you can overcome the effects, the spiritual deleterious effects upon your soul by and through Christ. He is the second Adam and he will fortify you through a walk that's not gonna change. We are always going to wear out and die. And, and I guess to answer you, Adam brought in physical death but Christ Jesus brought in both physical renewal and spiritual renewal and he brings total life. That's the best thing I could give, but I don't think we are ever going to uh, come out from under the effect of this world falling into sin. Okay, that makes sense. I hope. I don't you, know. I'm
2: supposed to make you re- okay. What am I supposed to remind oh, you,
0: Sean? listen. Sean? In 2017, we're doing a show. We're trying to. We're lining people up, and somehow, in that 12-month period, we need to get you out of oh, Washington.
2: Oh, I heard you say that. Yes, I'm so looking forward to that.
0: Well, we want you Thank to be you for on. We doing that next year. No, I want you to be on to talk about Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, me? Yeah, and become a Mormon, and then becoming a, a, a Christian. That's all befuddled. That would be a great show. Will yeah. you consider it? I'm sorry, what? Will you consider it?
2: Absolutely. Okay. Anybody I can reach out there to not make the same mistake that I did after leaving the witnesses, absolutely. I'd be honored.
0: Okay, good. We'll talk later as the year rounds out, the uh, next six months, and see when it would be convenient for you to get out here. Okay. All right, Thank Stephanie. Thank you so
2: much for, well, God bless you and your ministry, your family, everybody there. Thank you so much for Tuesday nights.
0: Thanks, Stephanie. God bless. Go back to the ball game. The rest is going to be boring.
2: Okay. All right, bye. I'll see you. Bye.
0: Uh, you know, uh, this is from uh, Catherine C. She says, <coughs> she came to know the truth. However, my husband, my youngest daughter, and second son and their families remain LDS. And, of course, they believe we've lost our minds. Her and part of her family have gone. It's hard to imagine how I could have believed that... I needed anything but Jesus. I am so ashamed of having led my children into the church that teaches so much garbage as truth. The use of mind control is so clear to me now. If I could only have seen it 25 years ago, maybe my children would be caught in that steel trap. Getting them in was relatively easy. Getting them out is taking a miracle. And uh, this is a, a common... Uh, story that we hear in a complaint. Anybody who's involved in uh, ministry to the Mormons know that when you come to know the truth and your family is still in that, it's brutal. You you deal with guilt for having raised them. You can't do that. You did the best that you that you knew. You were raising them in a religion that was proclaiming Christ, that was pro- proclaiming God. The LDS have uh, uh, allegiance to God and Christ. Of course, we believe it's, it's skewed in their doctrine, but you did your best. You were a parent who cared about your children. You took them to church. Do you think God is going to be you? I mean, you didn't know. We, none of us knew. I think of the people I baptized on my mission and, and all I can think of is I did my best. I, I tried to introduce them to something I believe that was true. People will write and say, why do you do what you do now? It's because I want to uh, redeem the time I want to redeem the time that I stole from people's lives by introducing them, by bringing other people into the truth and help offset that. And I know that's a strange, kind of superstitious thing in my head, but I want to redeem the time. And I understand the feelings that you have as a parent, but I wanted to just wrap this one uh, email up with this. Trust the Lord. Wait on Him. Wait on Him. Give Him all the leeway and just have faith. You could have a child die. Trust the Lord. Wait on him. You don't think he can do things? You don't think he's working to redeem people and bring them about? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and no man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Spirit. You don't think that that's going to happen? I do. Have faith. This is what pleases God: is that in the in the in the face of it looking like nothing's ever going to change, have faith that it will. Believe that it will. We talk a lot about miracles and miracle workings in our in our thing because I'm I'm, I'm such a cynic, but. That's a miracle for someone, a parent, to have faith that God will. Just like Abraham taking up Isaac, he will raise my son. I will lift that knife, but I know that my progeny is going to come through this kid. So I'm going to take him up there and I'm going to raise the knife and I'm going to do because I know God will. That's faith. That's a miracle in this day and age for a parent to say, I know God will redeem my family from the clutches of religion and he will. He will. You believe that. You trust that. And you hang on. You hang on in faith, and you'll see the miracle. You will see it happen. Let's go to Brandon in Vicksburg, Michigan. Brandon, you're on. Heart of the matter.
1: Um. Hey, Sean. How you doing?
0: Good. How you doing, Brandon? We have three um, minutes. All
1: right.
0: Three minutes, Brandon.
1: Uh, just. Okay. Well, um. First off, thank you for clearing up the whole judgment seat thing. Uh, I know here in the South is different denominations, different churches. It gets pretty confusing, but uh, your view is my view. I completely agree. Praise and, God. Uh, I just wanted to thank you again for uh, making your material about Mormonism and all that so available, because I, I didn't know anything about it. and uh, I've recently had some Sisters from the church called me and arranged meetings to for them to talk to me, and I had prayed long about it and uh kept watching the show and kept learning more and more. And I just wanted to tell them about Christ. And uh while I was sitting talking to them and they were asking me questions, an elderly LDS couple was listening, and the couple had through all that said, "Look, we can answer your Mormon questions, but..." We want you to answer our bible questions because we've just recently got into the bible and uh, these people welcome me in their house and um just can't quit asking about christ and it was because i could see where they were coming from and just wanted to let you know that your shot is touching lives and i thank you for clearing these things up and talking and and making this information available and uh keep doing what you're doing
0: Thanks, Brandon. Well, keep
1: watching.
0: That means a lot to us. We're so grateful for you watching and share the show with others. And we love you, our brother. Can't wait to meet you someday.
1: Yes, sir. I can't wait to meet you either. And uh, I even thought about getting some T-shirts made. Man, that'd be some cool stuff.
0: Derek, do we still have T-shirts? Just, yeah. Oh, uh, make the shirts and send us a picture. <laughs> okay. All I can right, do that. Thanks, Brandon. God bless you, my brother. Uh, you too, man. Okay, talk to you later. All righty. All right, bye. Brandon's syntax and delivery is very much like my friend Warren. I'm sure they're from the same school. Take a little time between their words, but yet they have some deep thoughts. <laughs> All right, listen, let's wrap it up. We're gonna continue to talk on, we're gonna progress through, and we're gonna get to more stuff. Uh, not so much about the fall. I kind of gave you what I thought. And uh, we're going to move on into other things about the Bible moving toward the cross and uh, the things about Jesus' life, et cetera, et cetera, here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going
2: nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the I won't be coming Out, I'm going in This man's awake A storm's arising The dawn's waiting Till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the light Fill my uh uh-huh.